Good and gracious God, we thank you so much that we have such good fellowship in this church. Uh, in the words of a, another person in fellowship with us who spoke to me a couple weeks ago, there is such a warmth in our fellowship now, and it really shines through. And Lord, I really believe that every single Sunday is a new Sunday where we are becoming more and more shaped into the image of who you are and who you are calling us to be as a church. And so I'm, I feel so blessed to be a part of this body, and I feel so blessed that you are at work among us. And so, Lord, lead us and guide us as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation. Uh, please allow me to be very, very small before the grand image of Christ that is on display in our passage today. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have been with us for any amount of time, you know that we are slowly working our way through the book of Revelation. Uh, I promise next week we will start picking things up a little bit as we try to go uh, by the entire chapter instead of little sections. So, in some ways, it's going to be more of a daunting task on me uh, because I have to cover a lot more material and much fewer words, which we all know how good I am with that. Um, which reminds me, uh, I forgot my watch today, so where we end is up to the Lord. Um, so, no, I'm just kidding. We have a lot to get through, but I know that we will, we will do it all in good time. But if you have your Bibles with you or if you have the Pew Bible and you want to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be reading starting in verse chapter or verse number 14 today. And this is our final letter. We have worked through the six other letters and now we have finally come to the last letter, which means we are at the last city along our journey, starting at the beginning and working our way north and then starting to head east, southeast, and ending up in Laodicea. And so hear these words this morning from Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, This is what the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or hot, cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some translations translate that as vomit. Because you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, and pitiable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be manifested, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. 
He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcome and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, amen. Uh, We'll recall that as we read each, every chapter and every verse, we are opening ourselves to receive the blessing that is found in the hearing and reading of this prophecy. And that's always an encouragement to me because as we move forward, the texts are going to get a little bit longer. And so you're going to have to sit with me a little bit more in just reading. But I think it is good because no matter what I could say, I can never say it better than the Lord himself through the Holy Spirit and in his scriptures. And so, let us start by unpacking where we are at. Every single week, I've tried to take us along this journey and place us in the city to which the letter writer is writing, to whom John is writing. And this week, we are writing to Laodicea. And so, what you would probably see when you come to Laodicea is a very, very wealthy town. This is a town situated at a major crossroads between a trade route that comes from the west and a trade route that comes from the south. And so this is a place where all kinds of goods and money is being exchanged. And so this is a place of much, much wealth. In fact, it might be one of the wealthiest cities that we have visited visited along our journey through all the churches. But also, you need to understand that it sits in this valley, the Lycus Valley, with two other neighboring cities. One you might not have heard of called Heropolis, but it has a sister as well named Colossae. And as you've probably heard, there is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. It is the letter to the Colossians. And actually, at the end of that letter, Paul urges the Colossians to share this letter with Laodicea. And so we see these churches are in close proximity to one another. So when you actually hear this letter written by John to Laodicea, you can actually hear some of the language of the letter written to the Colossians within it because Laodicea would have recognized that same information. And so that's actually something that we can keep in mind as we start thinking about this because a lot of the things that we might read in Colossians is still going to be applicable. Just like when we read the letter to the Ephesians in Revelation, it also applied because of the information coming from Ephesus in the letter of Ephesians written by Paul. And so Laodicea is this wealthy city, but it has three major things that it's known for. And as you've noticed, Jesus has been very clever to speak to these churches about the things that maybe the city is known for, maybe the church has adopted, but Jesus needs to rebuke them about those things. And so as we read this letter, we're going to see that Jesus is doing the same thing again. Because Laodicea is known for three major things. I said one already, it's wealth. It is so wealthy so obnoxiously wealthy. The second thing is that it's known for its medicine. In fact, there is a school of medicine in Laodicea that is very well-renowned, and many people go there to learn medicine. But in particular, Laodicea is known for a particular 
ointment called Phrygian powder. And it is turned into a salve for the eyes. It's a, it's a salve for the eyes. And then the last thing that they're known for is for their deep, rich, black wool. It's, it's a wool that is found particularly in Laodicea, and lots of clothes are made from this black wool in Laodicea. And it has, again, given them so much wealth because of the luxuriousness of this black wool that can be found only in Laodicea. And so there's three things that are obviously known, their wealth, their medicine, and their cloth. And so let us keep those things in mind as we start working through this letter and we start seeing what is it that Jesus is then speaking to the Laodiceans about. And so then we hear from Jesus that this is what the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says. And so each week we kind of look at what it is that Jesus says about himself, And every week we've actually seen that Jesus is using some of the names that he used for himself in chapter 1. This is the first time we actually receive names that that he was not given in chapter 1. And so as we read this, that needs to stand out. Because there is a truth about who Jesus is that we need to cling to in order to read the rest of this letter. He says that he is the Amen which he then clarifies is to be the true and faithful witness. Amen is, is, it means like so be it, or it is true, it is so, this is the truth, this is the thing. And so every time we add amen to the end of a prayer, we are actually saying because you are God, we know you can do it. It's, it's the ability to say even though it might be impossible, In you, O Lord, all things are possible. And so we declare the amen. We are declaring it in the name of Jesus, who is the true witness. That is to say that he is truth in and of himself, that all his words are true. He cannot bear false witness. He cannot lie. He cannot manipulate. In fact, just this morning, uh, we, were, we had an elder spiritual growth meeting, and we were reading uh, through Second Peter, uh, a part of Second Peter, and we started talking about what it means to be an elder and the words that we use and the importance of leadership. And part of the importance of leadership is to imitate Jesus in the way that he speaks to others. And the way that he speaks to others is not through false words and not through manipulation, It's through truth. It's through saying what is true. He doesn't want to manipulate people. He just wants people to know exactly what he says is exactly what he means. We actually see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul writes, For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. So every promise that God has ever made throughout all of Scripture is a yes. It will not be a no. It is a yes. And then he goes on to say, therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God. Because every promise that God makes is true, it is an affirmative yes, we can then declare amen. But then what does that have to do with Jesus? It's because of Jesus that every promise comes true. 
Because Jesus did the work of redemption that only he could have done. And that actually leads us into the next part of who he is. He says he is the beginning of the creation of God. And so this actually mimics a lot of the language found in the letter to the Colossians. In Colossians 1.18, Paul writes this. He says, And he, who is the head of the body, the church, meaning Jesus Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. You might think that that's really, really strange language. And I actually encourage you, if you are not coming to our Epic of Eden community group on Sunday mornings at 9.30 in trailer, that you join us because we're talking about some of this stuff. We're talking about exactly this, in fact. This, this morning we're talking about the redemption that occurs through the work of Jesus Christ. But the way we need to understand redemption is it's not a Christian word. It's not just a Jewish word. It's a cultural word of the times. And to understand redemption, we have to understand that it actually takes place in the context of kinsmen redeeming a woman who has no man, whether it be a husband or a son, to keep them secure in life. And I know that, you know, we could start going all off about patriarchy and patrilinealism and the patrilocal whatever, but we have to understand that the Old Testament happens in a certain cultural context. And that context was right for them, just as the context has changed for us today, and maybe those practices aren't as acceptable anymore. But for a woman, back then, she couldn't have property. She, she couldn't own anything. She couldn't have possessions. And so it was a husband or a son through which inheritance was passed down that she had her security. It also kind of speaks volumes to why James wrote that we should care for widows and orphans, right? Because they don't have anything to their name. It was only men that could have land, that could have money, that could have homes, and so, with that in mind, when it starts talking about Jesus being the firstborn, and to him all things belong, he gets first place. It's because Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is the kinsman that all of us need to redeem redeem us from the fact that we had nothing in the kingdom of God. Because it's about kingdom citizenship. It's about kingdom belonging. It's about being a part of the household of God. We've all heard the wonderful things about how uh, when Jesus goes to prepare a room for us, right? Because his father has many rooms, he has many rooms because he has a really big family. And Jesus was the means of bringing us in, back into the family. Redeeming us when we had nothing, he gives us everything. In fact, we're going to talk about how, what we receive a little bit later at what happens for those in Laodicea that repent. 
But let us think with that mind that Jesus is the Redeemer, the firstborn. He's the one that has it all. And so now he's saying, I am the beginning. I have everything. You think you are rich, but in fact you have nothing. Because you have missed what I am trying to share with you. And so let us continue because then he starts getting into the deeds. In verse 15 he says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Look, I remember growing up as a kid when there was a girl in class that maybe had a crush and cooties were still a thing, right? Um, I might say, if I didn't like that girl, you make me vomit, right? That's not a nice thing to say. I'm not saying it's a good thing to say. I would never say that now as an adult, unless I wanted to be slapped or punched or kicked where I don't want to be kicked. Um, You don't say certain things to girls, but one of the worst things you could say to them is, you make me vomit, right? And that is here what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. He's like, you are so disgusting. You make me want to vomit. I don't think I want to hear that from Jesus. I don't want to hear that from anybody. Nonetheless, Jesus. But he's saying that to them because he's like, you are neither hot nor cold. You are This water that is nothing but lukewarm. So of all the things that Laodicea has, what it does not have is a good source of water. In fact, the only water that is coming to the city is through aqueducts carrying cold water from uh, Heropolis and carrying hot water from the hot springs in Colossae. And so you have hot water coming in through an aqueduct. You have cold water coming in through an aqueduct. But you have to imagine that this is traveling miles and miles and miles in aqueducts. And so by the time the water gets to Laodicea, it is neither hot nor cold. It is lukewarm. It is lukewarm. And if you aren't used to drinking lukewarm water, you're probably going to vomit. It's not drinkable water. It is, in fact, it is useless water. One thing that this passage is often translated as is Jesus is saying, you're lukewarm. You're somewhere in the middle. You're not on fire for me, and you're not just cold toward me. You're somewhere in the middle, and I would rather you be not on fire for me at all or completely on fire for me. That's a little ridiculous. I'm not saying that it might not be a proper interpretation. I just don't see that as the context in which Jesus is writing to the Laodiceans. What he's saying is, you're useless. Your deeds are useless. You don't understand what it means to be church. You're not hot water, which can be used for boiling for, for, for washing clothes. You don't, you don't have the hot water that can be used for healing, for soaking, like a hot spring would be. But you're neither cold water either. You, you're undrinkable. When it's a hot 
98 humidity day in Griffin, Georgia, you don't want a lukewarm glass of water. You want the coldest water you can find. You're going to go to the freezer, and your glass is going to be 100% ice and 10% water because that's how hot it is. And so you want that cool, refreshing drink of water to pass your lips. You are neither, what he's saying to Laodicea is you are neither good for healing people that need me nor giving them their thirst quenched through me. You sit in the middle. You sit in the middle. You are neither hot nor cold. And when we start to think about this uselessness, we are reminded of Paul's words to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, 4 through 21. This is what he says. He says, uh, wait, yeah. For just as we have many members in one body, what a great, we, we just received a new member, so exciting, right? Just as we have many members in the body, we don't all have the same function, right? You, you're all not supposed to function the same, just like the church isn't supposed to function the same, right? There's lots of churches in Griffin, and we all are going to have different functions in our community. And so it is with the body of Christ. And so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. But having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy in agreement with faith or service and serving, one who teaches, one who exhorts, one who gives, one who leads— one who shows mercy, but we are devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, being fervent in spirit, and serving the Lord. And what, Paul, what the writer in, in Revelation is saying is, you aren't doing any of that. You're a disjointed, discombobulated mess of people who all think that you're in it for yourselves and you have totally forgotten that Jesus is the head and that you are the body. Instead, you're all trying to be the head. You're all trying to be the one that's rich. You think you've got it all because you have wealth. But we all know that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, right? That's what Jesus tells us in the Gospels. And so here in Laodicea, Jesus continues. He says, You, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. That's why it's so hard for, I think, us to see the miracles of God in America because we don't need them. Our medicine takes care of everything. The medicine in Laodicea took care of everything. We have so much money to do all the things we need to do. We don't need God to provide for our next meal the way that people in third world countries need God to provide their next meal. We don't see the miraculous because we are rich. This could just as much be a letter written to the churches in America. And that's scary. If we aren't willing to humble ourselves and say, like Jesus said, but you are not rich. In fact, he says, you do not know that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. 
you do not know. This is what I love Paul David Tripp. He says, this is what we call spiritual blindness. We're so blind to ourselves. We can see the log in other people's eyes, but we can't see the speck in ourselves. And so we are spiritually blind to the many things that Jesus wants to reveal to us because we are so set up on our high horse and saying, I don't need you, God. I got me. I got me. It's good. You don't need to get me. I got me. But Jesus is saying, because of that mentality, you can't actually see it all that you are, in fact, poor. In fact, the language used is the same language in the Greek that should take us back to Smyrna. When Jesus said, you are in poverty, but you are rich. Smyrna is the only letter written where it was like all good. Didn't have anything bad to say to Smyrna. Because they knew that in their poverty that they could be rich in Christ. But the one that is rich in materials is probably very impoverished in Christ. But that's also our hope because blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We have hope in Jesus when we have material wealth if we are willing to recognize that we are spiritually impoverished and we need spiritual wealth that only Jesus can offer. And so here's what I want us to see in this passage. He says that you're poor, so it's the opposite of the wealth that exists in Laodicea. He says you are blind, which is contending against this salve that exists in Laodicea. And he said you are naked, and he's competing against this black cloth, this black wool cloth that exists in Laodicea. The three things that Laodicea is known for are the three things that Jesus says, you're claiming for yourself, but you don't see because you're so blind. You think those are the things that make you rich, but the only thing that can make you rich is found in none of those things. They're found in a person. Verse 18, and I advise you then, Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. This is actually uh, language that comes out of the prophet Isaiah where God actually says that you should come and buy from me all that you need. But then he says, without money. Without money. It is not going to be money that allows you to buy these things. These things are bought with one thing, faith. Faith. Which we have been talking in this church. We keep coming back to love, trust, obey. This idea that the more that we have this encounter of love from God, the more that we trust, we have faith in him, the more that we lean into the obedience that is a richness that is found in him, not found within ourselves. And so there's this richness found only in Christ, and it comes only through faith. And he says, buy these white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that shame of your nakedness will not be manifested. Clothe yourselves in the righteousness of me. Clothe yourselves in the purity that is me. Clothe yourselves in the redemption that comes in me. And buy from me the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. 
It's not that you are blind physically. It's that you are blind spiritually. You need to have your eyes opened by Jesus to see Jesus. And so come to him with the faith and the encouragement that he will open your eyes to see more and more and more. Because here's the thing about becoming a Christian. You're going to be constantly spiritually blind to the things about yourself. And so every time you make one step in the right direction, that's great. Jesus is doing a work through you and his Holy Spirit, but it means that you're blind to something else in your life. And so he says, come to me, keep coming to me so that you may see that these deeds of this richness that you think you have is nothing at all. But I love this. He's saying all of this to Laodicea for one reason. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It is out of the love that Christ has for you and for his church that he's even willing to say these things. Parents do not reprove their children because they hate them. Parents reprove their children because they love them and they want the best for them and they want the best life for them and they don't want them to fall into trouble and into shame and into embarrassment and so we teach them through reproving them and correcting them when they're wrong and Jesus wants to do the same thing with us and with his church and he says so be zealous let your heart be lit aflame this morning we were reading in Again, in Second Peter, and there's just one thing that caught me so deeply. In this one verse, it said that he is the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. And it went on to talk about something about receiving a crown of glory or whatever. But what's crazy is when I read that, the only thing that caught my heart was he's my chief shepherd. I couldn't care less about the crown of glory. I couldn't care less about the riches that... I obtain in, in receiving him. It's, it's just him. It's just the goodness of Jesus. And so I want to be zealous for, for him. I, wanna, I want my heart to be lit aflame by seeing Christ the chief shepherd in front of me all the days of my life. Forget the crown of glory. I'm going to lay it down at his feet anyway. We'll get to that next week. We receive so much in Christ. He even continues to say the things that we receive, and it's just like, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. I will be with you. I'm going to come into you. I'm a good Jesus. I'm at that door. I'm knocking. Are you listening for the door for his knock? Are you willing to open the door and to let him in to come and eat with you? Look, to come in and eat was a sacred thing. To, 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 to dine with someone, you only dined with, with family and, and, and with relatives and with, and with close friends. You don't just dine with anybody. But Jesus was ridiculed because he dined with the sinners and the tax collectors. Don't you know that's you? Don't you know that's me? And he came to the door and he knocked and he said, let me in. I want to eat with you. 
Laodicea, open your eyes and see. You think you are rich, but you are poor. But the one who has all the riches is knocking. And when you enter, let him enter in. He says in 21, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Remember the redemption story. Remember that he's our kinsman. He brings us into his lineage. He brings us into his kingdom. And he doesn't just say, you come into my kingdom as a pauper. He says, you come into my kingdom as a prince. You come into my kingdom as royalty. You are of my line. I'm redeeming you to be with me on my throne. As I have overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I honestly don't know if there's a greater, a greater letter that could be written to the church in America, the church in the West, as we are overcome with so much abundant wealth that we have lost our neediness for a creator God and for a redeemer. And so, Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be softened to receive what it is that you are giving, what you are offering, that we would be ready and willing to hear the knock on the door and to open it and to let you in. Because, Jesus, you are the greatest thing that we could receive. And I know that can be hard for us to understand and comprehend sometimes. Like, like how could someone we can't see be the greatest thing we receive? But when you receive it, you will know it. And you will be like, yes, I want to be zealous for you, God. I want to repent before you every day, Lord, for the wretchedness that I have because you have made me righteous in yourself. You have allowed me to buy from you the clothing that is yours. You have allowed for me to buy the gold that is refined by your fire. You have allowed me to point your salve on my eyes to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.